Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. In this episode, another Doug King Memorial is in the books, and this year's winner of the lager and specialty beer-focused competition was the Guava Goes by Masahiro Katana of the SoCal Severceros. We're talking about how to make a funky, bright, and sour guava-infused goza, as well as his tendencies to split his brew days to make multiple beers, including wet hop IPAs. But first, a message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association. This holiday season, give back to the brewing community when you join the American Homebrewers Association. From November 8th through December 15th, purchase an annual membership and the American Homebrewers Association will make a $5 donation to your choice of Beer for Boobs, Soldiers Angels Hops for Heroes, or the Michael James Jackson Foundation for Brewing and Distilling. Learn more about these nonprofits and how to donate directly by visiting homebrewersassociation.org slash experimental. And let's give back together. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. If you talk to any of our sponsors, please make sure you tell them that you heard about them here on The Brew Files, because that's why they pay our bills. Now, every year, you know, the Falcons put on a couple competitions, and the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart is the Doug King Memorial Competition. It was a competition I founded about, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. And the whole thing was, let's celebrate the spirit of Doug King, who was the guy who taught me to do all-grain brewing. So if you're sitting here listening to me yabber on about beer making, you can blame him in part. So every year we do this whole thing. It's all about lager beers, but also specialty beers because Doug was known for doing weird things like taking leftover tortillas and throwing them into his corn lager or chocolate cake into a stout. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, Nowadays, that would almost be considered normal, it seems like, if you go into a brewery. But we're still celebrating the spirit of Doug. And this year's winner is Masa. Masa, say hi to everybody. Hey, uh, my name is Masahiro Kitano. Uh, Call me Masa. So I'm Japanese. I was born in Japan, grew up in Japan, and came to U.S. 10, almost 11 years ago. I'm a home brewer, and I'm a certified Cicerone since this Tuesday. And if I remember correctly, you are a member of the Seveseros, right? Right. And listeners will remember we've had the Seveseros here on the 
on the podcast before. Uh, now, let's dig into you. So you said, okay, you came here 11 years ago. When did you get involved in brewing? It's a little bit long story, but my first batch, I made my first batch in 2015. So pretty much 80 years ago. And where can I start? So I'm, yeah, working. I'm, uh, my day job is a research, a staff research scientist at the university locating near the downtown LA. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, I was a postdoc, postdoctoral scholar, right? In other words, doing a lot of work for not a lot of money. And, uh, yeah, there was another postdoc from England. Uh, his name is Ben. So we hung out together so well. So like uh, at the end of the day, usually he called me and, hey, you know, do fancy your pine, stuff like that. And we went to the Melody Lounge in Chinatown and grab a pint. And one day, so he asked me, hey, you know, do you fancy brewing a beer in your flat? And I was like, what is this guy talking about? And uh, he turned out to be like an experienced home brewer. And he originally planned to brew at his flat, but his body refused to do that because he didn't think that flat is not enough clean to make the beer. So they, <laughs> that's the reason why they chose my place, my apartment, right? <laughs> I, I, I see. This, this is saying something about your, your buddy. Yeah. Do you remember what that first beer was? Yeah. So like uh, we went to the Eagle Rock homebrewing uh, homebrew shop, yep. which unfortunately no, no longer exists. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Right. So when I opened the door, you know, I'm so amazed, you know, that kind of place exists, right? So we picked up the, just uh, extract and some hops like a citra. And uh, also he bought a bunch of gingers. That was the interesting part. Okay. Right. So we made a basically extract uh, IPA batch with tons of ginger. Okay. Yeah. And that's definitely different. But I mean, I could <laughs> see why that could work. Right. So... Yeah, we, I just watched, you know, his doing and it, it was so fascinating. And, uh, yeah, we tried the batch and it was so unique. It was different, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I, you know, retrospectively, I think that one is like pretty much oxidized. Uh, you know, that kind of weird ginger, you know, not super hoppy, kind of sweet taste IPA, but I was so amazed with that quality. So like, this is something different, you know? So he kept, yeah, brewing a couple of another batches, but he ended up, went back to UK, leaving all those, like, uh, you know, basic tools of the brewing. So he said, Masa, you have to keep brewing. And yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have been left with the gear. You must now keep, keep it going. I love it. <laughs> yep. Because yeah, I'm also trying to remember, I think, Homebrewing is not legal in Japan, or it's quasi-illegal, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it is illegal. Yeah, so like a, that's the reason why I have no idea, you know, brewing at home, right? But it's interesting, though. So recently, I met with a guy at the homebrewing competition, and he said, yeah, I ran homebrewing in Japan. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it is illegal, but uh, they don't actively find you, right? Yeah. 
it's kind of like here in the U.S., you know, where technically you're only allowed to brew 200 gallons a year, but if you're going over that, right. nobody's going to give a damn unless you're trying to sell it. True, right. I have to ask, your first beer is an IPA with ginger in it, and that seems to sort of set us on a on a path towards what you ultimately ended up winning here with the DKM with, you know, <laughs> right. with, with something experimental. So when you're making beer at home... Is that a usual bent for you, or what do you normally what are you normally trying to do when you're making a beer? Like, what's what's driving your creations? Yeah, that is actually my first beer. But and then after, yeah, I started making myself. I kept making those ginger beer by myself. But um, you know, I realized I learned nothing from him, and uh, my first batch was yeah. So when yeah, my, my first day is like disastrous. And, uh, you know, I ended up, like, just diluting the water with tap water. And then the batch turned out to be, like, a sour, sour, oxidized, whatever. And, yeah, that was amazingly horrible. And then I started studying. And uh, another, my body came to my place to show the every single step. And then since then, yeah, I finally made a non-sour ginger IPA. But I wasn't a big fan of that ginger part, right. right? So I dropped off the ginger, and then I started making just IPA. So I made many batches, but I wasn't so happy with that quality. You know, I realized that there is a huge gap mm-hmm. between the commercial IPA and my IPA, right? Right. Many of my friends liked my beer. You know, oh, your beer is you know, not like, uh, I like your beer because your beer tastes differently. And that is what I wasn't so happy at all. Well, well <laughs> also, let's never discount the fact that your beer is free to your friends. Right. I found that to be a very important quality. <laughs> yeah. Switch to old grain, mm-hmm. which didn't make dramatic difference. But, um, and then, yeah, I did like batch spots and fry sparge, which didn't make a big difference either. And one day, my friend, yeah, yeah, another friend who showed me the step bought the kegulator system, and I thought it's crazy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Man, this guy's crazy, you know? Buying this kind of, yeah, shit for the home brewing. But after running and running, yeah, the more I study... Uh, on the internet, the more I'm convinced that I have to buy it. Right. right. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Especially at that time, I was making the hazy. Yeah, I was trying to make a good hazy, but that quality is way far from the, you know, the commercial, like a Mumford or something. So I was wondering, you know, what, what makes a difference? You know, not all grain. So what is the left? It's just keg, right? Yeah, I ended up buying it in 2020. And uh, I did cross transfer for right. sure. And that time I was finally, yes, you know, it is. So this is what I wanted to make. Well, and particularly with the hazy, I could see why closed transfer suddenly makes a big ding- big difference because right, of that oxidation right. concern. Yeah. So far, you know, I was just bottle conditioning, right? Yep. And, you know, the bottling, yeah, spoils everything, basically. So that time I finally, yeah, became happy with my beer. So that happened 2020, so like five years after <laughs> I started making, uh, until then I was so unhappy with my beer. 
not only were you brewing, not only were you really trying to you know make your beer, but it also turns out that you're very, very stubborn. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good quality to have as a brewer, as long as as long as it's stubborn with the ability to be able to change because right. the process isn't working the way that you want it to, and not stubborn like you dug your heels in because well that's the way I was taught to do it and therefore that's the only right way to do it. So you're stubborn in the right way. This is good. So yeah, I think so. You're saying up until this point, I mean, like you're focusing a lot on making IPAs and, and the hazy IPAs. Yep. Where does the goes come in? So, yeah, I also like the sour beer. You know, at the beginning, I really hated sour. But the more I'm exposed, I started liking it. And I wanted to make it, right? Right. So, yeah, that's how I just started. And then I found the recipe of kettle souring. Yeah. Right. And just to remind listeners, kettle souring, it's technique that's really popped up over the past decade or so here in the U.S. and some other places, but it was kind of an answer to how do we make sour beer quickly without contaminating our downstream equipment? And so using a kettle and a lactobacillus, I think in the recipe you sent me, you're, you're actually using like a, you're using Propagate Labs uh, lactobacillus, it says here, yep. using that and then letting that sit for a couple of days to do the full souring and then bring it back to a boil to kill off the lactobacillus so that you can transfer your beer around and have it in regular fermenters without worrying about lactobacillus contamination everywhere else. Exactly. Let's dig into the, into the scos because you ended up winning the Doug King. And I of course totally forgot to put this up front, but you ended up winning Doug King for a guava infused goes uh, guava. Yep. <laughs> I was hoping I put enough syllables on that. Ah, <laughs> you're you're digging the gozes, yeah, you know, and so goes salt and coriander sour beer. Mm -hmm. This guava that that you that you entered. How many gozes had you made before this one? I think I made uh, quite a few batches of goza, maybe four or five before this batch. Yeah. We make this one, and I'm looking back at the notes. So the competition happened just at the end of January here. This was originally made in middle of November. When you're making like one of these goes beers or goes beers, what are you trying to achieve? Like, walk me through your process real quick. Sure. Yeah. So I made my first guava goza maybe one year before before this competition, and uh, at that time I had my friend who got the tons of grubber in the backyard. All right. So she was curious, you know, if I can use it. And yeah, you know, I can try, right? So I just made a puree by the food blender, and then he pasteurized it and just dump it into the goza. Well, actually, I back-sweetened the, the goza with the grubber okay. at that time. Right. And I really liked it. So it it kind of gives like a Gerber's funkiness and also like a weird grassiness. And I really liked it. And uh, that badge also won some medals in the competitions. After that, you know, I just bought the commercial, commercial, uh, the purees right. from like Oregon fruits mm. or uh, Amelotti's. And they made a good beer, but it was different. You know, that kind of weird funkiness and, uh, you know, grassiness was missing. It's pretty much tasted like a commercial grava, right? 
but still won some, you know, medals in the competition. So it's good. So last year, uh, another friend just, uh, sent a message in the group chat. Hey, you know, I have tons of guava in the backyard. So anybody wants it? And I said, yes, but you know, I have, I, I really need tons and how much? And I said like 10 pounds or something. And she was like, dude, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, but and I got getting the 10 pounds of guava, but I didn't make the puree myself. So another friend picked up those guavas, 10 pounds. She said like a 70% pink guava and 30% white guava. Oh, nice. And they are really ripe. So what she did is uh, cutting off the top part and then uh, dice those guavas and, uh, and cook it, like uh, heat it right. until, so until it started bubbling or something. And then she blended. So she did like an opposite way, basically. Almost making a guava jam in a way. Exactly, right. Yep. Without adding any sugar or water. Well, I mean, like a super ripe guava is already sugary right. enough anyway. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Right. Uh, so you have all this guava puree. Right. How do, uh, I mean, was this available right when you were making the batch, or did you have to freeze and store it, or what? Yeah, freeze and store it. Okay. In a Ziploc pack. Yep. All right. So let's go through the, the, the goes itself because sure. one thing I think is very important is this was a split batch, right? You didn't just make yep. guava goes beer. You made multiple goes out of one batch. Mm-hmm. Right. So, all right. So walk me through the, walk me through that brew and then how we get into adding the guava. Sure. So I did the kettle souring first, right? Right. With just the grain beer is Pretty much simple, 55% too low and 45% wheat malt. Uh, total 10 pounds for five-gallon batch, I think. Uh, no. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, right. I basically doubled it, so made, made a two batches. Right. Yeah, in that single uh, brewing the bag situation. So I did, you know, my setup is so simple. So just brewing the bag and squeeze those grains like, yeah. <laughs> the bag. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we got a ten gallon batch going. You pull the bag. You drain the, the the water out of the bag. Yep. No sparge. So okay, you do no sparge for your your brewing bag. Mm-hmm. Do you do the total water volume then in the kettle directly? Yeah. Okay. No sparge, but still full volume. Right. I'm guessing since you have the lactobacillus, would chill it down a little bit and then add the lacto. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I make I made the lacto stuff there. First, right. yeah, before the brewing day, right? So, what I usually do is like I over make the starter and then keep some portion into the into the the bean mm-hmm. and uh, just yeah, dump the rest into the fermenter. And I forget you, you said how long were you on the lactobacillus for? Uh, usually, uh, it's just overnight, and you get a sufficient pH drop in that period, then, right. Until up to like a down to three point three, as I remember oh, wow. correctly. Okay. Yeah, right. So we do that, bring it to a boil, kill everything mm-hmm. off, and then into the fermenter. And you said the guava is going in at the t- the start of uh, fermentation, or um, so like uh, no. Okay. Well, first off, I didn't boil. Oh, so I just yeah. So this is no boil. 
Oh, so you're you're even allowing the lactobacillus to still stay no, active? No, no. Uh, I heat it up to like one eighty five ish. Ah, okay. So you're right. pasteurizing, right? Heat pasteurize and then hop stamp for thirty minutes with a roller or something. Lord. Yeah, yeah, right. All right, and, and then, then and then into the fermenter. Okay, right. Gotcha. Yeah, and just ferment with the French saison yeast. Why yeast? Thirty seven eleven. Yeah, that one is so robust and uh, you know. Nicely attenuate the world, but still guava is not in the fermenter. So after the when the fermentation completes, I transfer into the keg, right? So that is when the guava is added. Okay. So I added like a guava puree into one keg, mm-hmm. three pounds, I think. Yeah. So three pounds of uh, sort of semi-concentrated puree into a five-gallon portion. Right. Okay. Yep. And also, I added a bunch of the SMB, sodium metabolite sulfite, mm-hmm. and uh, potassium, potassium sorbate, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you got sorbus, you got the metabolite sulfite in there to stun any... Any yeast or any critters that are in the guava or in, nominally in the beer. And right. then the servostat to prevent any sort of re fermentation. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, good, because I was going to ask you how, the, it, <laughs> how you kept the beer from trying to eat the guava. <laughs> okay. Right. And so you got the guava puree in there, and you said three, uh, three pounds for that five gallons. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's like a, so I split the batch into the two, two, two kegs, right? So right. one gallon, uh, no, no, like a three gallon into the guava batch and three ah. gallon to the non-guava batch. Oh, okay. So I, yeah. thought, we were, I thought we were dealing with t- uh, 10 gallons total, but uh, I guess you said 10 gallon mash. And, all right. Gotcha. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah. 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 Just forget about that part. So like a total is just six gallon batch. Okay. Yeah. But so you're basically, it's a pound, a pound of puree per gallon for the flavored mm. version. Right. Now, is that just staying in the keg or are you putting it on the puree for a limited period of time and then pulling it? It stayed forever. Okay. So it's it's going going up into people. Right. The thing is like I use I serve using the floating dip tube. Right. Uh, so the beer is taken from the top of the keg. Right. So it, although the puree is on the bottom. Right. So yeah. See and I still have yet to play with any of those floating dip tubes, but I, I know that I and, like it. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they they make sense for certain situations, and this is a perfect example of one. Right. How how long? I think your notes had said this was brewed on November seventeenth. Mm-hmm. How long did it take for you to get it into the keg? Yeah, well, you know, even on the day one, I can. Yeah, I enjoyed the beer, mm-hmm. so it's been a while. Like, a, it stayed like a two months or something, but okay. still. Yeah, it's been fresh until until the keg was kicked. Right. Um, right. And then I'm assuming for the competition, did this go into uh, bottles like carbon uh, or counter pressure filled bottles or beer gun filled bottles, or did you how did how did how did you take it out of the keg for the competition? So I packaged into cans. Yeah, but basically, uh, um, so like uh, also I feel using the tap cooler. Okay. That one is a uh, you know. Yeah, you can just put that that thing into the 
into the faucet directory and then pour it. Right. So they also sell like uh, the adjustment or adapter to the camp, but I, I haven't used it. So basically what I do is, you know, pretty much similar as a beer gun setting. So I patch the can with the CO2 first and then pour super, super slowly to the top of the, to the top of the can and just seal it. Yeah. What are you using as a seamer? Uh, that is the cheapest one from the, from the, uh, October, right? Okay. So the hand drill on top. Right. Yeah. That one. Okay. October. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> it's like the October Mark 16 or something. Uh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, they have some sort of number for it. But right, yeah, the right. cheapest one. Anyway. <laughs> well, okay. So we get we get that done. We get the we get the cans going, and obviously the judges really like the beer. I, I actually talked with one of the judges uh, who had mm-hmm. a comment that was like, "Yeah, I judged this in the in the first round, and that was by far and away our unanimous choice for everything to go forward." And so he was really happy to see that that ended up winning. Um, now the other portion, because I want to talk a little bit about splitting the other portion you just put into a keg plain, no other flavor. Uh, no flavor, just goza. Okay. Yeah. And that one, one, uh, yeah, some competition too. You started with a base beer that is worthy Mm -hmm. and good, and then added the fruit on top of it to add to the dimensions of the beer, but not necessarily, you know. I think a lot of times people think of like when you add fruit to a beer, it's because you want to rescue a beer that has flaws underneath it. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. So the base beer is already, yeah, what's good too, actually. I really liked it. So, big question about the goes and the salt. How do you determine yeah. the right salt level for you? Right, exactly. Yeah, I forgot to mention about it. So, uh, there are some, like uh, I added Trader Joe's pink salt. And also some coriander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot how to determine the amount. I think I, yeah, I ran from the online forum. And uh, the amount keeps going up, 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 you know, after making some budgets. But um, yeah, this amount, I felt this is good. Like, you know, it's not over, over curing. Like, it's not super salty or it's not super coriander. But yeah, if it's too much salty, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how can I say. It's all good, but I mean, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, but I mean the the rule of thumb is basically start small and add, right. and particularly with salt, you can always add right. more to the keg. Yeah. So I mean, because otherwise, if the beer ends up tasting like you're, you know, licking a salt lick, you done it wrong. Right. So, all right. Well, now with the with the goes that you've done here with the the guava, now that it's a best of show winning beer, are there anything that you or is there anything that you would change about the beer? Because I noticed in your notes you mm. you gave a you, you your notes you 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 scored it and you said uh, four out of five. <laughs> so that either tells me that you have thoughts about things you want to approve, or you're just very persnickety. Yeah, I'm just so happy with this one and particularly this batch i was amazed when i poured the beer from the keg i think that is because of the quality of guava guava puree so you know i first told you like uh, i liked the like a weird funkiness and grossness from the puree i originally made but that one that kind of 
grassiness and funkiness still there was, but super suppressed this time. And that, yeah, that is, I think, because of the way she prepared the puree this time. Maybe like a heating first using, like a making a jam first and then blend it. Right. So, yeah, this part, I think the guava played a big, big role. Yeah, making the, making the beers amazing. Now, of course, the only problem is that given that this was a homemade batch of puree from a particular right. crop of fruit, you're going to, you're exactly. constantly going to be chasing it, trying to, trying to recreate that particular flavor. Right. Yeah. So making goza is, you know, it's simple, right? So there's very, yeah, like uh, you can tweak the amount of salt and coriander and maybe change the hops, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, you know, drastically change the impact. That's my, that's my thought. But, uh, yeah, this time the guava, yeah, getting a great quality of guava prey, yeah, played a key role in this batch. And it's, it, that is also the difficult part. Right. Always. Or oh, another thought, another thought is, you know, I, I, I did a back sweetening of the beer. So I wonder, you know, if I, yeah, ferment those guava. And how it changes. So maybe the next batch, I want to try it. Right. Well, and so when you backswing it, because of course you can backswing because you have the sorbistat in there. Yeah. What'd you use for backswinging? Just sugar, sugar, or? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was curious with uh, this. This is sour beer, and I also made some. Um, yeah, I've been making the backswinging beer a lot using like a pomegranate juice and uh, this kind of sweetness matches well with this sourness, especially when this pH is pretty low, like 3.3. Right. And if it's not sweet, if the sugar is completely fermented out, I, I maybe it feel, it, well, I haven't tried it, but it may feel like a little bit too sour. Mm-hmm. So this, Sweetness matches well with that uh, sourness, I think. But, you know, again, you know, I want to try it next time. And uh, I don't know why I, I started with a back sweetening. <laughs> I could, I mean, I could see why. I mean, like, if, if, if you were worried about the amount of acidity, and now granted, of course, pH is not analog to perceptible a- acid, right? So 3 uh, right. three three pH doesn't necessarily mean that the beer's super sour. You'd have to go and look at the uh, titratable acidity for that. Right. But still, I could see, like, it wouldn't have been your first taste after you backswing it. I'm sure you'd had, like, a gravity sample or something like that. You already knew where the, yeah. the sourness was. So I was like, right. okay, well, let's, let's try that. I would be curious to see, like, you know, what the difference would be. But obviously, right. wherever you, where you landed this one, you landed it pretty well, so... <laughs> yeah, I was lucky. <laughs> it's better to be lucky than to be good. Now, Muscle, while I have you on the on the line, and before before we let you go, because one of the things I've always liked to talk about is splitting beers, figuring out a way to turn a single brew day into something more. Because yeah. yes. I don't know about you, but life is busy, and I don't always get to brew as much as I'd like to. So if I'm going to brew, might as well try and do as much as I can in one day. Yep. You also, you had mentioned, okay, hey, you know, like I was brewing a lot of IPAs. You sent me, a, uh, sent along to me a couple of recipes about a split batch of IPA that you did that were both, they were both uh, fresh hopped I- or wet hopped IPAs, right? Yep. And this was one brew day, two different end beers. Mm-hmm. So tell people real quick about the wet hop IPAs that you did in this one day and 
what made them different? And also, where did you get the wet hops? Yeah, that's a good point. So like, uh, I have Easy Israel Areta, the brewer yep. at the... You, you know him, right? Uh, yeah, good old Izzy. <laughs> Izzy one day, yeah, asked us in the in the Slack, and uh, he had a bunch of fresh hop from his friend mm-hmm. from Ventura or somewhere. So anybody, yeah, anybody want a fresh hop? So like I said, yes. And uh, yeah, I well, this is actually my second batch of fresh hop IPA. So I made yeah the first batch like last year. So I got the fresh hop, tons of fresh hop from him and made it. Right. And it wasn't good. <laughs> so I only, you know, yeah. <laughs> so at the time, I was pretty much making hazy. So I was just curious, you know, if I can make a hazy fresh hop IPA. Right. So I just swapped the, you know, the recipe of a hazy IPA to the fresh hop version. Mm-hmm. So just only later edition only. Right. And it was so weirdly like a sweet and um, grassy. Yeah, it, was, it had uh, to have tasted very green. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I sent that beer to the competition and I got 20 or something. So it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this year, you know, yeah. So the second batch, yeah, like, uh, yeah, this year, no, last year. So he asked, and yes, I got. And, and this time I got really ton. So he brought those, yeah, hops to my apartment, and uh, it was a lot. So like uh, I spent like three or four hours just picking hops <laughs> out of vine. There right. You know. So ended up like he brought the Columbus, and uh, Columbus, is it Columbus? Yeah, and the Cascade. Yeah, Columbus and the Cascade. Right. So ended up. I got like, uh, yeah, 58 ounce of Cascade and 40 ounce Columbus in total. Just to remind people the rules about wet hops as opposed to dry hops is it's, well, I think it's usually like a five to one ratio uh, mm-hmm. is what people usually talk about in terms of hopping. So that 40 ounces of Columbus that you got is roughly equivalent to about eight ounces of, right. of dry hops. Yeah. And so you had the one experience under your belt of doing a wet hop IPA and you did it hazy style and said, nope, nope. no, thank you. Yep. So, so this time through, I mean, I'm looking at your malt bill that you, that you give in the recipe. So you're doing one big mash Yep. and it's two row, uh, mostly two row, a little tiny bit of Munich, uh, golden naked mm-hmm. oats, one of my favorite ingredients, uh, Vienna. Yeah, me too. And about uh, a half a pound of honey malt in there just to kind of give some uh, back into it. So we go through, we do that mash. Yep. And then were you, did you separate out into two boil vessels then? Uh, yeah. So like uh, I have like a two 15, 15 gallon boil kettle. Okay. That exactly same, but yeah, same sizes. And uh, I even mashed separately. Oh, and okay. I did a mash hop, right, of Cascade. Or Columbus, right? Okay, so you're you're literally running two batches side by side, right? <laughs> For this batch, yeah. Right. And then, so just looking through, because I think you gave the same sort of treatment here on on each of these, right? Pretty much, yeah. So a mash hop and a thirty minute kettle edition, and then just because this is what everybody does with IPAs now, those are your only two kettle kettle editions. You turn off the 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 heat. 
mm-hmm. and then you do a hop stand. Right. So I dropped the temperature down to 175 using the chiller. Right. And then at the hop, and I just left it for 60 minutes. Okay. Now, during that time, are you doing anything to actively roll pull it, or was it just, you know, here you go? Hops are in. Yeah, just here away. you go. Yep. Okay. And so that's a whole pound of, of wet hops. Yep. And again, thinking the, uh, thinking about that rules, it's a little over three ounces dried equivalent. But then you got all the mm-hmm. other flavors, the wet hops. All right, so we got the hop stand there, and then we get yep. into multiple dry hoppings. Yep, only for cascade batch though. Okay, so I ran out the Columbus <laughs> at the hop stand, right? So <laughs> I couldn't dry hop with the Columbus for the Columbus batch, but for the cascade batch, I still have yeah a lot left, so I could. I could dry hop. And and you dry hopped it three separate times, it looks like here, three days apart, uh, mm-hmm. se- uh, day seven, day 10, and day 13. So I'm guessing by this point in time, all your active fermentation's done. Right. And even I dropped the temperature down to 55 or something. Okay. Yeah. Why do, why in your mind do the three separate dry hops as opposed to just saying, look, I'm going to take all, you know, uh, what is that? Eight plus six, so all twelve ounces of the of the hops, or all fourteen ounces of the hops, and throw them into the into the fermenter at once. So why split it up into three? So the third one is keg hop, actually. Ah, so so why two four ounce editions as opposed to just one eight ounce edition? I would say this could be just once, but you know, double dry hop. Why not, <laughs> right? <laughs> I like the term double dry hop. Leave me alone. I know. Me too. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know how, how effective this double dry hopping was. Uh-huh. But you know what? Like adding four ounces of wet hop into the fermentizer, that's a lot of work. And you know, I only have grass fermenter. Right, grass cowboy right. with small entrance. So. <laughs> so, in other words, you're spending a lot of time jamming uh, jamming hops in there. You, you want to limit the, amount of, the, limit the amount of time it's actually open overall. So, like, uh, yeah, I didn't want to think about you know adding eight ounces of wet hop into yeah, yeah. It, it's going to take forever. Right, and so, so that's what you do with that batch. The the other batch, you said no dry hops, and that just goes straight into the keg. Right, because yeah. And again, I'm assuming with the, the dry hop and the keg for the cascade, floating dip tubes again. So did you just yep. loose leaf them in the, in the keg? Yep. Yep. Okay. Tell me with the, with the wet hop beer overall, mm. your impression of doing the second run of wet hop beers, what, what did you get different? Cause you said the first one that you did kind of as the haziest thing was very green and very vegetal. So right. what do you, what'd you get this time through? So this time I really liked it. And, uh, you know, now I boiled the hop. Last time I didn't, right? So I, I picked the nice bitterness as well. It wasn't too bitter though. And also like a fresh hop, like grassiness is kind of enjoyable level. So that one is cascade, right? Mm-hmm. And the Columbus batch was so weird. It smells so funky. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> super funky. Barnyard or, you know, horse blanket or something like that. So like, but interesting. it's interesting though. I didn't, it could be like the contamination from the hop, but you know, I didn't dry hop this batch, right? Yeah. It, so, I mean, all your hop, hop exposure on that was hot. So, right. So I don't know where that kind of funkiness was coming from. Yeah. I really hated that Columbus batch. So uh, Masa, uh, Masa is not a fan of Columbus now. It's all cascade. Right. 
then I packaged, yeah, I put the, those beers into the growlers and brought to the homebrew, homebrew right. club meeting, right? Right. So I let the easy drink it. And he really liked the Columbus song. <laughs> well, I was like, what? Well, and, 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 uh, <laughs> and for the record, for everybody who doesn't know Izzy, Izzy's a really great longtime home brewer. He's won multiple awards. He's been a member of the Falcons and the Seviceros for years and now does the brewing for uh, Craftsman Brewing here in Pasadena. Yeah. Uh, so he's not a man of no skill and no taste. Right. But this just does point out that like sometimes these things do come down to taste preferences. So... I imagine for you, for the wet hop version of this beer here, or the wet hop brew day experience, I'm guessing that this was driven largely by the need to get the hops used immediately, is why you right. ran the two batches at once. Yeah, right. I just used quickly. But, you know, even if I have to use, I had to use quickly, still, you know, those hops had to wait until, like, at the dry hopping time, yeah. right? So I just, uh, vacuum seal those hops mm-hmm. and leave it in the fridge. Yeah, you kind of treat them like a like a herb. And uh, for for people who aren't really aware, the reason why you dry dry hops is because wet hops go bad; they rot pretty quick. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's the reason why the industry tends to almost all of the hops used in the industry are dried. Now, given that, okay, so you did this as a wet hop beer. Well, so like I, it ended up like I blended those beers into. Okay. Yeah, so like a Columbus batch, which Easy really liked. Right. And uh, the Cascade one is, yeah, I also thought like I liked it, but something is missing, you know, right. not funkiness, but uh, still it smells like a super melon, like, uh, you know, it can also like a sweet aroma was there, but something was missing. So Easy suggested me to blend it one by one, and I did it. And now I like that blended batch. You know, it, it, it added like a interesting complexity to the, the Cascade beer. And so that's a blend of the Columbus fresh hop beer and the Cascade wet hop beer? Exactly. Do you remember roughly like what the ratio was? Uh, one, one, one by one. Okay, just so 50, just 50-50. Yeah. Right. Well, at least that's easy to do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, and see, that's, and that's good. And that's part of the reason why we often talk about like as much as much as you can learn from doing just a single hop or a single ingredient type of beer, a lot of times the best beers out there have to have some layering of ingredients. I think. Right. Yeah. Masa, before I let you go back to your Friday, is there anything else that you want to share with the the audience about making, say, either uh, an award-winning Goza, making a fresh hop IPA, or how to think about doing a split beer day? Yeah. So first off, for the Goza, uh, grab a goza batch. So I'm now talking with the, talking with the head brewer at Art District, uh, to submit this batch for the GBL Pro Arm section. There we go. So that's gonna be fun experiment. Have, have fun brewing at Arts District since it's all down in the basement. Yeah, right. And also they are so good at kettle sourdough, right? Yep. So that's gonna be a fun thing happening soon. So I'm excited with it. As you should be. Yeah. <laughs> Masa, I, I have to say thank you for taking some time here to talk to us about making Oh, no. Beers. Thank you for having me. Hey, I mean, look, it's it's also quite a quite a nice thing to go in and, and win a competition like that. And like I said in, in the intro, the Doug King competition is near and dear to my heart. Yeah, that competition was awesome. Yeah. I was judging at the same time. 
and uh, yeah, I had really fun there. It's always a good day. So also encouragement to everybody to go out there and help your local competitions because they all need help. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this look at Moss's brewing practices. Summer is right around the corner and is the perfect time for a bright and refreshing Goza. So, get to it. Now, remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And of course, you can always find us at www.experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which we're still determining. Now, until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files. The next generation of countertop home distillation systems is here. The all-new Airstill Pro from Still Spirits is a revolutionary still that will look right at home alongside your everyday kitchen appliances. This small-batch 2-in-1 distillation system operates in either pot still or reflex mode and allows you to craft high-quality light and dark spirits at home. No hoses, no complicated assembly, just plug-and-play. The Airstill Pro column cools itself with a built-in high-powered fan. The Still Spirits Airstill Pro is available now at your favorite homebrew retailer. Learn more about the Airstill Pro at stillspirits.com or check them out on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube.